Hi, and welcome to another edition of Professors at Work, our weekly podcast from the American University of Beirut, where we talk to professors and research scholars about the work they're doing, what they're discovering, and what it really means for the rest of us. I'm delighted to have this week as our guest Marco Bardas, who is an assistant professor in the Department of Health Promotion and Community Health at the Faculty of Health Sciences. Welcome, Professor Bardas. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome, uh, and thank you to, for inviting me. Oh, it's a pleasure. You've, uh, I've followed your work over the years, and you've done uh, fascinating work, you uh, with many of your colleagues and your students sometimes, using digital technology uh, for the sake of better health in the community, in the family, uh, in the country. Mm -hmm. um, and there are many dimensions to this, and this, it's particularly important in a moment of uh, health crisis and threats and, and uh, large-scale poverty and, and wars and refugees. And so the, the digital work that you do for health promotion seems particularly relevant these days. So tell us, how did you get into this field? Well, uh, it all started back in 2008 when I started a PhD program in Lugano, University of uh, Lugano, the Università della Svizzera Italiana, that's what the formal name is. Um, at that time, I joined the professor, Professor Suggs, who's a Texan-based uh, uh, teacher, professor in, in, health, in health promotion, actually, and social marketing. And it's there when I discovered that, you know, we can use technologies for, for promoting health, like we use technologies for many other things, many other aspects of our lives. Um, what I noticed that by then, it's like when we started using technologies for promoting health, <clears throat> was an attention towards uh, you know, type of messages we can use, type of technologies. And I read, I started reading books about uh, captology. Uh, so for those who are familiar with this term, is uh, a term invented by B.J. Fogg uh, from Stanford University. Um, it's the idea that technologies are helping, helping us to become better in several things we do in everyday life. So we are captivating our audience by using technology. At the same time, we are helping them achieve behavior change through triggers that are motivated yeah, by the technology. Hang on. Oh. Can you see me? Uh, can you? I am using 3G. Um, the Wi Fi is yeah, not working hang on, well. Uh, Marco. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, uh, okay, that's why, because it was fading in and out. Uh, let, let me start again from the beginning and ask okay. you. Okay, I'll, I'll try to um, put to, to move to Wi Fi from me. Uh, you were just. Yeah. Can you hear me now? You're using Wi-Fi? I'm now back to Wi-Fi. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm back to Wi-Fi. I'm in the office. Uh, you'll be, no, the connection okay, is not really the great. In the, yeah, I'm on trying Wi-Fi. Wi I'm probably, on Wi-Fi. Because it was, I was losing it for two, three words, and I'll come back. So let me, okay. let me start. Okay. Uh, uh, let me Sorry start for again. that. Oh, no, that's okay. It's not your fault. Um, so with the introdu my introduction, it was fine, and, and your response. So I'll mm -hmm. just restart my first question again. Um, so you've been working for many years using digital technology um, and other technology for health promotion. Uh, tell us uh, what, it, what got you into this field, mm -hmm. and then we'll, I'll want to hear from you more about the actual kind of field work you've done, both mm -hmm. experimental work and uh, implementing uh, health strategies. 
Mm-hmm. So it all started back in 2008 when I started doing my PhD at the Università della Svizzera Italiana in Lugano, in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Um, back in the days, I, I discovered a new you know, stream of research in, in health communication that was looking at the role of uh, digital technologies as delivery modes of interventions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mobile applications were at that time still in their infancy. We're talking about email, um, SMSs, and these were the two uh, you know, delivery modes that I use in my PhD thesis. So I wanted to see if nudging individuals uh, through email and SMS could motivate behavior change. And I motivate, mm-hmm. the behavior I wanted to motivate at that time was physical activity, walking in the, in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving fast forward, let's say, when I joined the UB, I wanted to expand a bit this work on... Uh, the use of applications, so mobile applications for different health-related behaviors. I started studying mobile applications for weight loss, uh, physical activity promotion again. So this is mm-hmm. some, something like a stream. Uh, I continued the stream of research on that uh, mm-hmm. I, I developed during my PhD. And then I moved on to different fields on the use of mobile applications for uh, smoking cessation, looking at uh, how can these be motivational factors? This is all based on you know evidence and and literature from the U.S. From Captology is one of the streams of research that uh, is looking at the role of technology for for motivation motivating behavior change. B.J. Mm-hmm. Fogg is one of the authors that is really the, the guru in in this. Mm-hmm. Um, so persuasive technology, you know, that's what they're oh, we're okay. talking about. Yeah, and this was uh, a field that you were putting into action in Lebanon initially, in Beirut and Lebanon. Yes, yes, yes. I tried to, you know, try to bring the evidence, let's say, from global literature. I did systematic reviews also to understand what are the gaps, existing gaps in the literature to, in the interventions mm-hmm. uh, to promote behavior change, to see what really can be used to motivate individuals to, uh, to actually engage behavior in, in healthy behaviors. And I focused mostly on uh, weight loss, weight management, physical activity promotion. These are the uh, mm-hmm. domains where I, I focus my work on. And, and what were your results? Uh, tell us a little bit how you carried out these uh, interventions and what kind of results did you get? Uh, so I, I started uh, first with doing, uh, back in 2016, 2017, when I joined the UB, um, a, uh, an evaluation of uh, several applications. So I invited um, members of the UB community, mostly employees, to uh, actually try out uh, several applications uh, and to tell me that what we're thinking. We did uh, interviews, we did focus groups, we did also uh, surveys to evaluate the quality, the perceived quality of these applications. Then uh, I designed an intervention that was carried over uh, the after two years. And we're now in the phase of uh, actually about to implement a third edition, let's say, of an intervention with uh, a, co- a community partner, let's say, and uh, an application partner. Uh, from from Qatar mm-hmm. uh, that will provide an actual system, let's say, service for the users who, with actual coaches that are you know, delivering an intervention remotely. So the idea is now to have uh, to study a bit more the role of telemedicine or provision of services to, through mobile phones, through mobile applications to support individuals in their behavior change. When you talk of provision or delivery of services, give me an example. What you mean? Well, you know, uh, if you want to have a smoking cessation program, for example, you, you go to a, to a clinic, you go to, a, to an office with mm-hmm. the, the provider, healthcare provider, a psychologist or something like this. Now, uh, before the pandemic, but I think mostly after the pandemic, we observed a shift towards more remote uh, type of healthcare delivery. 
mm-hmm. uh, for different reasons, of course, to avoid the lockdowns, to overcome the problem of lockdowns. Now, Lebanon is facing you know, other problems, other challenges related to mm-hmm. the cost of fuel and transportation. So technology can help in that sense uh, to avoid or to overcome some of these logistical barriers and provide access to healthcare services uh, from a distance, you know, so telemedicine or telemedical yes. services have been um, have been used more and more. We can have, you know, access to our doctors uh, on their fingertips. We have AUB, we have MyChart or MyAUB Health as a way to interact with uh, our, you know, personal healthcare information, healthcare health-related information, and we have access to, we can have access to our doctors directly. We can uh, schedule mm-hmm. an appointment, we can meet them, uh, of course, not all appointments are supposed to be done this way, but it helps at least in, in, in saving time and costs because, you know, we have to be also cognizant of uh, the importance of cutting costs in terms of healthcare. You know, yes. and a lot of companies are also looking into that. Uh, not only, you know, those service providers, but also health insurance companies, third-party mm-hmm. insurers, you know. So these are, uh, I mean, I think mm-hmm. digital health is, is here to stay um, in, for the future also. <laughs> well. Um, I uh, I had an experience in this recently when uh, I needed to, uh, I was traveling and I needed to get some uh, fresh uh, supply of, uh, of a, a blood pressure medicine that I take. Mm-hmm. And um, I just sent an email to my doctor. This was in, uh, in, in the Boston area in Cambridge. Mm-hmm. I sent an email to the doctor mm-hmm. and uh, after half an hour I get a call from the pharmacy down the street. Um, actually a recorded voice call saying your medicine is ready come pick it up etc etc and this this all happened within half an hour uh, mm-hmm. and it was all done digitally and mm-hmm. I didn't even see the doctor or the pharmacist I just uh, left a, a message it was, it was incredible yeah but what you mentioned is like a very good example of how these systems can integrate very well as long as there's an interoperability between databases so, which means that uh, you have a health record that is clear and it is readable by any operator uh, operator mm-hmm. in the area. We, in this in this case, it's about uh, we have to talk about data protection, about privacy, mm-hmm. and and how uh, healthcare organizations deal with the data that you are providing them. Of course, it's for your own sake; it's for your own safety and. But this, of course, opens up venues for discussion from an ethical standpoint. Um, I mean, about data protection, about privacy, right. about confidentiality, and, and all these things. However, so there's a you know a good and bad side of um, of technology, and I mean I'm more of a, an optimist, um, and in the sense that I I do trust in the important role of technology to to in, improve our lives. Right. Not to make them more difficult. You, you provided exactly an, a good case of how technology can help, can and speed up processes, can uh, you right. know, give you access to uh, to healthcare services. Right. Um, what about the cost side? Does this uh, bring down costs for patients, for medical providers, for for anybody else in the system? It definitely does. I don't have you know very current data, but I can certainly you know make a comparison. You know, eventually, when you are meeting um, in person with the provider, you're uh, spending their time. So and everything has to be billed, yeah. and of course, time is money, and it, it, yeah. it of course the cost of interacting with the provider is that. But then in in this case, you're cutting the cost of uh, an intermediate person, maybe a physician or a, sorry. Um, 
pharmacist that yes. has to provide the medication. So you, if you have everything ready, uh, you can really uh, just, you know, the doctor can just issue an order and the order mm -hmm. goes directly to, to the machine that produces it, you know. You don't have to have an intermediate person, not the delivery guy. So you, you're cutting costs in the, in the process as well. So it's not only okay. in the outcome or in the, uh, in the medication in the visit. Sometimes you don't have to visit the doctor to get a prescription, you know. So you can right. cut costs there as well. Yeah, and um, you talked about uh, <coughs> persuading people um, mm. to, uh, to, to, to undertake better behaviors for their own health. Is most of the work that you've done uh, focused on individual men and women, or even maybe children, I don't know, but is individuals changing their habits? Is this a very person-directed uh, process? It's a person directed at the same time I try to look at communities mm -hmm. uh, in a sense that not only because I belong to the department that is community health, <laughs> but because mm -hmm. we, we, you know, we are not just individuals, so we, we don't act on our behaviors just because we want to. So we are influenced by others, we are influenced by our environment. So in this sense, I, I consider community as a broader, in a broader term. In a broader term. Uh, we've done some work also with the humanitarian <coughs> engineering initiative at the UB, so which brings together two faculties mainly. Uh, health sciences and engineering uh, mm -hmm. to uh, motivate individuals to look for COVID-19 related information from reputable sources. Uh, mm -hmm. We've worked together with uh, Professor Haj and uh, Ms. Aline Germani for that. And we developed uh, together a, uh, an intervention application, let's say, that uses WhatsApp as a way to communicate with, uh, uh, with the target audience by sending messages that are uh, a combination of information, let's say. So we are trying to look at factors that can be scaled up to different communities so that we right. can influence collective behavior change, let's say, not on individual level. Right. And uh, have you found any, have you had any results from this kind of works yet? We were on, you know, we are doing this as we go, so as okay. we speak. So right. it's not, we don't have results yet. Uh -huh. um, and we're talking about an application that is uh, delivering messages, so it's on one way, it's not very interactive. But based on the same framework, um, now in implementing another intervention for family planning in Lebanon and Jordan, so thanks to right. the help of a developer, they're developing a bot, a chatbot with Telegram, probably you're familiar with this or you know this alternative yeah. to WhatsApp. Mm -hmm. uh, messaging platform that will uh, deliver uh, intervention, sorry, a content, let's say, family planning related information mm -hmm. and um, motivational messages, uh, mm -hmm. information, practical information on what to do, what to consider to uh, vulnerable populations in Jordan, in Jordan and in Lebanon. And we try right. to also include some contextualized information related to where to find healthcare services, where we can find, let's say, family planning services in the, in the area. Again, this is right. possible through technology because you have information that you can collect about the location, about the gender, about the age of the, uh, the users, and this right. will inform uh, the actual response, let's say, from the intervention standpoint. Yeah. You, you mentioned vulnerable populations. I was going to ask mm. you uh, the equity issue because mm. not everybody has a smartphone, not everybody has good internet access mm -hmm. uh, or, or um, high-speed uh, telephone uh, network access. So how do you uh, uh, calculate that into your work when you're trying to reach an entire community? Yeah. Well, first of all, this is a very, very important and interesting aspect. And uh, part of my work has, done into, has looked into inequitable access to, uh, to technology. So we, we have, you know, 
developers of, div of digital health interventions have probably given for granted for many years that um, users have the capacity, the ability, the opportunity to use technology, but it's not always the case. So health literacy and digital health literacy are keywords in this sense. Mm -hmm. And I look into that you know, when I design interventions. So we need to make assumptions, but at the same time, we need to also design interventions so that we account for different levels of literacy. How do we do so? Yes. Uh, for example, is by saying, well, we need to develop the content of the intervention. We need to develop, you know, we need to understand from our target group whether they can use the technology. So we did formative research with, the, with our community uh, partners. We did understand whether um, WhatsApp, for example, was a, a means of communication, and that was the case. And you will be surprised, even though not everybody has a mobile phone, a lot of people have a, sm a smartphone, have a WhatsApp. They use WhatsApp to communicate with their friends and families yeah. overseas or they're far away. So they, they're using the, the, the application for that purpose. Now, right. because of the limited internet access, we, had, we couldn't uh, provide them a, with an application to download and, mm -hmm. and because it has an implication in terms of space on the phone, uh, bandwidth, uh, right. you know, if you stream a video or an image um, or if, you know, something like this, it will have an implication on the data usage. So we had to do something a bit lightweight. That's why we decided to go with a, a messaging service because it's already there. They, are, they already know how to use it. They just mm -hmm. have to open the, you know, the, the message and read it or listen to it. So that's why a way to, to avoid this, the limitations. Of course, not everybody mm -hmm. will have a mobile phone, but we are counting on the fact that a family as a unit will have a phone. Then they might okay. be shared across, you know, the, the husband, the wife, or the partners, and then the children. So right. that's the idea. So we are considering this, uh, and this is part of the design process, okay? We need to understand from the beginning what are the technological usage um, and abilities uh, of the, our target audiences. Right. Um, let me ask you a slightly sensitive question. Do you find mm -hmm. any difference in how men and women respond? to these kinds um, of uh, efforts? No, I mean, it depends on the topic, of course. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, I can tell you from the experience, let's say that for the intervention that I ran, uh, UB, um, let's say for weight management, weight loss, I had more female participants, yes, uh, compared to the family planning one. But in that case, we are targeting mm -hmm. the, the, fam the family as a unit of analysis. So we have both, you know, partners involved, uh, traditional family in terms of um, both genders in, represented here. I mean, we had to account for the gender power dynamics uh, in this context mm, for family yeah. planning. You know, so it really, yeah. I would say, it depends on the context, depends on the type of behavior promoting. Um, but in generally speaking, you know, it depends really on on the project. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what about people of different economic means, wealthy people, middle income? No, from what I can people? see, no, no. Um, I mean, I would say, from my experience, I, I targeted uh, sort of an homogeneous segment of the population. Uh, being a big, mm -hmm. a big community somehow homogeneous, I mean, re it represents more or less, or it used to represent, the, the generic substrate of uh, the Lebanese population, even though now, of course, poverty levels have increased. Um, but the technology, I think it's, a, yeah. you know, technology has become even cheaper, you know, so the access to technology has become more affordable for everyone. So I would say nearly everyone has a mobile phone. Now, the issue might right. be uh, Internet access. And this is something, you know, it's not easy to yes. overcome, especially, you know, in the conditions uh, we're, uh, we're living in. 
Right. But it's a factor to account for, yeah, for sure. I uh, remember when COVID started about, what, a year and year, over a year and a half, there was an effort at AUB with a committee that was dealing with uh, health uh, issues and, and advising the administration at AUB and, and the community as a whole. And you were part of that. And, and you were quite active with your colleagues in designing health messages that were sent out through mm -hmm. the Internet or in posters on campus mm -hmm. or, or things of that nature. Tell us a little bit about that experience and, and what you learned from uh, sending out information uh, in a poster kind of form. Mm -hmm. Poster, poster meaning in a printed form or yeah, printed social media as well. Mm. Uh, well, well, either printed on you know paper and stuck up on a wall, or mm -hmm. just uh, the same message, the same graphic and text, but sent out through uh, social media means. No, of course the medium make a difference. No, but I would mm -hmm. say uh, there's a uh, there's not much a distinction between traditional media communication channels and the new media communication channels. Uh, because, you know, uh -huh. there's a combination of factors, meaning uh, nowadays we want people to activate and make a decision or do an action, like visit this page, click here. So a lot of uh, social media posts, for example, would include links, would include QR codes, even print mm -hmm. materials include QR codes. And people can scan, can, you know, take a screenshot, let's say, and then use the QR code to open a link. So I think there's a, com a combination of factors here that play a role in terms of making uh, even printed material a bit more interactive. So it's not always mm -hmm. just, oh, it's a, it's, a, it's a poster, you read it. If you're interested, you bring it at home or you throw it away in the garbage. Mm -hmm. It becomes a, a, different, a communicating mean you know, that connects uh, individuals with the, the digital world, let's say. And you will see this more, or more and more frequently used. I think QR codes are becoming almost um, commonplace in even in restaurants now in Lebanon. So they don't have to print out anymore the uh, constantly changing price, price list. So they just yeah. use QR codes. Yeah. 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 And uh, during the COVID crisis, which we're still in, um, yeah. uh, did you try out completely new techniques? Because you needed to reach the whole population with mm -hmm. messages about washing hands and things like that. You weren't targeting a narrow band of people with heart disease or pregnancy no, no, issues or whatever. So with the expert committee and also then after that with the um, vaccination working group, uh, we worked together with a lot of people in AUB to uh, reach out, first of all, to our community. Um, now, because we, we like to do things, you know, in a you know, scientific manner, in a research mm -hmm. You know, oriented way, mm -hmm. we asked our target audience to see what are the channels that we would use for uh, for communication, and most of them we know that we can reach them through through uh, emails. So that's yes. what we mostly use emails, and then of course websites, and then social media to some extent. Social media, AUB, uh, social media, and in this this case, I really have to thank um, all the communication office in AUB because they are supported mm -hmm. a lot. All the work that we have done so far. Uh, Martin mm -hmm. Asse to to Simon yes. now Simon Hashar and then yeah. uh, Nidan Mawas yeah. a lot of the you know we have to think in again in a in a multi digital format uh, communication you know we also need to say well there are segments of our community that do not do emails 
and they don't they don't have an email address maybe they don't do email so we have to find alternative ways to reach to them and that's what we did we tried to get uh, focal points in each in each unit uh, thanks to the help of the human the human resources department mm-hmm. right. um, to talk to them so we we cannot forget you know we're still humans so we we still interact with mm-hmm. uh, you know in a face to face manner sometimes or let's say with a person to person contact so right. uh, communication for me is an integrated uh, you know system it's not only you know digital digital is part of this environment communication environment we are living in so we need to right. use multiple channels to reach different people mm. and what's uh, what's your response to a situation where you have large numbers of people who completely disregard uh, health, uh, you know, healthy behavior, uh, like in the middle of the COVID in Lebanon and in the United States and in other countries, you'll get uh, groups of uh, young people mostly having beach parties uh, mm. without any masks or anything uh, and people who don't want to be vaccinated. So how do you mm. deal with people who clearly know that they should be behaving better or in a different way that protects their health and the health of others, but they don't behave in a better way. They just uh, stick mm. to their old habits that can be very harmful. How do you address well, that? <laughs> this is a $20 million question, I think. Um, <laughs> I would treat the, the, the problem in, in two different ways. So the anti-vax movement, which is not only for COVID-19, it's been always you know, lingering in the background. And with social media, they had a bit more... Um, venues for for speaking up whether you know maybe 40 30 years ago this would not have been possible um but they are the minority so the issue is that uh, the the perception that we have uh, is mm-hmm. that the, the individuals that ag- are against the technology against an innovation are still going to be uh, a minority so if you're looking at the diffusion mm-hmm. of innovation model it's a very you know easy right. simply simplified way to to see things innovations follow a curve so there will be always a minority that is innovating that will buy that the new technology the new iphone for example but that will be a minority right. it will be followed by an early majority and then the light mm-hmm. date majority will those who are waiting to see how the technology evolves they want to, to make sure that every purchase they do it's it's safe this is you oh, know okay. we can apply this to uh, vaccines as well so there are people that wait for the vaccines to be effective to be tested enough to right. see uh, to, to be sure to be safe to feel safe about mm-hmm. their usage yes. I'm not just talking about COVID-19 vaccines but any kind of vaccines any kind of uh-huh. you know health related technology as well so yeah, this yeah. means that you know we cannot we we, could, we should we, we we should try to convince um, you know anti-vaxxers otherwise. But uh, from a marketing standpoint, it's always better to start uh, trying to convince or to persuade those who are ready to change. And anti-vaxxers, by definition, are not ready to change. So right. from a very marketing perspective, I will not invest a lot of time trying to convince people that the sky is blue when they mm-hmm. believe the sky is black. Right. Okay. So it's fine if we they they keep their own ideas as long as they don't impact the thing the public safety and and um, right. mm-hmm. and have an impact let's say on the general the society unless they impose their views. I think that would be the extreme where we we have to right. you know set the boundaries. But in that case, I think policies, uh, rules, uh, laws that will forbid right. them, for example, for uh, manifesting in public. And this is something you know that's happening already with the COVID vaccine mm-hmm. mandates, mm-hmm. or you know regulations that uh, you know make the non-vaccinated individuals um, 
uh, more uh, and so prone to to get the vaccine. Of course, this has ethical implications about individuals' freedoms and liberty. Okay, this is the argument that you can see everywhere. But right. you know, we can yeah. the counter argument will be is that we are trying to protect the the, the collectivity here. Uh, it's a public health mm-hmm. you know emergency, so we need to make decisions that might hamper our individuals' freedom, individual freedoms for the betterment of the society. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, we've just about run out of time. Can I ask you one last quick question? What's, yeah. what's on your agenda next, your next uh, research project you're thinking about? Uh, what I would like to do is to investigate uh, different domains of health and understanding better how we can be more equitable in de- mm-hmm. designing health, digital health interventions. Last year, we published a paper, a scoping review, with a student of mine and a group of friends and, and faculty members and, and faculty of health sciences. We realized that um, a lot of interventions out there that are published, let's say, in the peer review literature, do not account for different domains of literacy, including basic functional literacy. And we talk about digital literacy itself right. and the ability to actually use an application. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of work should be done in, in understanding how we can design better interventions with our population and, uh, right. you know, that we're serving you know, in mind. I think this right. is, will be my, my yeah. next step, let's say. Well, it's fascinating work, and uh, we're lucky to have you and your many colleagues at the Faculty of Health Sciences uh, doing this. Uh, so thank you for, uh, for being with us. Thank you, thank you, Rami, for uh, interviewing me. You, you bet. Uh, our guest has been Professor Marco Bardus from the uh, Faculty of Sciences. He is an assistant professor in the Department of Health Promotion and Community Health, uh, working uh, very much on the, the linkages between digital technology and uh, health promotion. That's this week's Professors at Work. I'm your host, Rami Khouri. Thanks for joining us, and join us again next week at the same time. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.